Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker. And whether it's your first time or perhaps you're a regular listener, as I always say, it's great to have you here with us today. And I do have a little favor to ask of you, and that is that you rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. By doing that, it helps other people to find us, but more importantly, it motivates us to keep producing great content for you every week. So all you need to do is go to the Apple Podcast app, search Grow My Salon Business, scroll to the bottom of the page, select ratings and reviews, and write us a review, and we would be very appreciative. So with that said, on with today's show. A career in hairdressing and the journey that it can take you on has the potential to take you in all sorts of directions that you couldn't possibly have imagined. My guest on today's podcast is hairstylist Wendy Isles, who, as well as being the founder of her signature product line, is a true celebrity hairdresser in every sense of the word. In today's podcast, we'll discuss finding the balance between a successful career and life as a mother and wife, what it takes to be a successful global celebrity hairdresser, and the importance of strong foundation skills and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Wendy Isles. Thank you, Anthony. I'm honoured to be on your podcast. And I feel honoured to have this opportunity to talk to you. Uh, I've I've known of you for a long time. We've never met before. You've had an intriguing career, and uh, I know our listeners are going to love hearing your story and everything you've got to say as much as I will. So yeah, this is going to be so. I'll tell you what I want to do. A lot of people will know of you. We get listeners in a lot of different countries, but I know that that you're particularly well-known in Australia, you're well-known in the US, and that you'll have people that, that know of you through your product line all over the world. So let's just go back to the beginning and ask you that question. Whereabouts are you from? I am Australian. But I'm also French now, after living in France for 25 years. But my heart belongs to Australia. So I guess by my accent, it's it's quite it's quite obvious that I'm Australian. I didn't lose it in France. But then America also is extremely precious because my company, Isles Formula, was born in America and is manufactured there. So okay. I'm a bit of everything. Yes, I now you, you have are. American residency. <laughs> yes. Okay. And you're not just Australian, you're Tasmanian. And for our uh, people Tasmanian who... <laughs> to the core. And the older I get, the more I mean, I've always appreciated Tasmania. Yeah. Although when I was younger, it was very obvious very early on that to expand in this business and make your dreams come true. I kind of had to leave the island, which I did. But as I'm getting older, I'm I realize that is paradise. It's paradise. It's paradise. Mm. It really is. I'm very proud of Tasmania and I speak about it often. 
Oh, good. Okay. Rightio. So Tasmania, for anyone who doesn't know, is that little island at the bottom of Australia. Yeah. Actually, it's not that little. It just looks a little when you see it next to Australia. Little heart-shaped island. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, and it is a long way from Paris. In fact, I'm not sure that you could get any further from no. Paris than Tasmania, from Devon. I think it's Tasmania. the last, except for maybe a point of southern New Zealand. It's the last landmass before the South Pole. Right. There you go. Yeah. It's, 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 you don't just hop on a plane and decide, okay, I'm going to Australia next week. It's, it's planning. Yeah. One needs to plan. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you are a hairdresser and you started about the same time I did, a little bit before me. So, you know, that goes back a little while. And you have sort of traversed many areas of the industry that we're going to we're going to dig into. Would you describe yourself now as a celebrity hairdresser? Well, that's the title they give me. Yeah. I think it's not I think the reason they say this is because I'm a hairdresser who works with a lot of celebrities. Right. Okay. So what I wanted to ask you was I've had I've had a few editorial hairdressers, session hairdressers on the podcast over the last couple of years. And none of them subscribe they, they don't call themselves celebrity hairdressers. They call themselves session hairdressers or editorial hairdressers. So I wanted to ask you, what is that distinction? What what exactly is a celebrity hairdresser? How does it differ to an editorial well, hairdresser? I believe it's that because I remember when I first fell into freelance work, you would be known as a session stylist. Yeah. So you're no longer nine to five or whatever it is. You're no longer going to the salon, to the chair. You are working with the with the photographers, with the glossy magazines usually because mm -hmm. They are the ones that give you the jump start and start to make your name, if anything, a little bit famous. Because if you're working with the bright glossy magazines, your name is always in print and people are reading about you. Yeah. And you get to do those beautiful editorials like the Vogue's and the W's and the numeros where you're playing dress up. It's very creative. You're working with beautiful clothes often couture or the latest runway trends. So it, it th then you're a session stylist. But then for me, I fell into doing some royals and celebrities, lots yeah. of celebrities. And it just kind of changed. People start speaking about you as a celebrity hairdresser. So I think that's, that's why the title changed yeah. from session to celebrity. Yeah, and it, it's just... Very specific skill set, I think. It's a different skill set dealing oh, with the celebrity because there's a whole people component that this is, is where this is where age and experience is absolutely everything. I'm very old school when I work. I always wear what you a suit. Hmm. I always I'm very discreet. I never take out my camera. Hmm. Unless I'm invited to take out my camera, which is on my phone. Yeah. I am very, very, I guess they're old school rules. Yeah. And celebrities appreciate this because often when you're working with them, it will be a one-on-one -on -one and they will invite you into their homes. So you're in their bathrooms, you're in their bedrooms, you're around their children, you're in their private spaces. Hmm. You have to be extremely discreet. Yeah, yeah. And in these circles, these are circles. Mm. So you have, once you've cracked 
a celebrity circle, good news travels really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And then most people, they all want you. However, bad news Mm -hmm. also sweeps like a raging fire. And then you're out. And then I guess there's no way you'll ever get in. So I'm just, I've been working with celebrities now for over, well, Marion Cotillard in France. I've been working with her for more than 20 years, for example. So I've had many innings and years with these special ones. I just still tread very carefully. Okay. How much of that goes way back to how you were brought up? Like your mum and dad as a kid, how you, how you were brought up, the era you were brought up in, that degree of respect well, probably, and all that possibly. sort of stuff. Would you put it yeah. right back to that? You always yeah. respect your peers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And discretion. It's, and Yes, yeah, for sure. Okay. sure. Is, but today, you realise today is such um, an open book mm. with iPhones, with Instagram, with Facebook, with Twitter, with, I mean, everybody's snapping pictures. We didn't grow up with that. Yeah. So that's that's where you really have to control yourself mm. because yeah. you may see something and you think, oh, my God, that would be an amazing photo. Well, exactly. On my Instagram feed, a picture with so-and-so or but you whatever. Can't, you just can't you do can't, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I've often wondered about the – you do beautiful hair. I mean, I love looking at the hair you do. You make women look really beautiful. It's beautiful hair. Uh, but what I want to ask you is, because you do a lot of work with celebrities, does that restrict or is it less creatively fulfilling? Because yes. the brief yeah. is to make them the best-looking version of themselves, isn't it? They know how they That's want to look. Exactly so talk to us about that. Yeah. So my Well, in fact, it's interesting because I, I made this observation recently again, confirming to myself. I'm at the moment, there was a book that was published on my European archives, the editorial work in 2008, and that's no longer available. But I'm working on another book right now, which is the whole package. It's most of my career since I started editorial work. So many countries, many editorial images, and it'll also have some how-tos, how I actually executed those hairstyles. So when you work with as a session stylist for fashion magazines, it is so creative. Mm. And once you start creating, it sets off it's like putting a flame to a match. <laughs> you start to create and then in your sleep these creations are just coming to you. They're dropping to you out of the sky. So you're just waiting for that next next photo shoot that may be a little avant-garde that they say, what would you like to do or do whatever you like. So it it is a very, very, very exciting time. So putting this book together, I realised, and it was confirmed to me again, that as much as I adore working with these celebrities, because you do get close to them, you you really do. It's a very personal space. And they, they really trust you and depend upon you. I like that too in a relationship with a customer. But I realise that when you do celebrity hair, it is always 
about them and they just need to look themselves mm. and have beautiful hair, which suits me perfect because mm. the DNA of the hairdresser of who I am is about nurtured, sumptuous, lustrous, healthy hair. That's mm. the girl I am. So they kind of fitted my desire for hair like Cinderella's slipper in a way. So, but get, putting that book together, I was so grateful to have all those years as a session stylist. And when I said, when I was saying the DNA of who I am as a hairdresser is this sumptuous, nurtured hair, is I'm a hairdresser with, that was never keen on styling product as such. I have never liked gels. I have never liked mousses. I definitely never, ever, ever use hairspray. Mm. And looking at all these archives mm. over the years, they have stayed so modern and so on trend. They look like I did them yesterday simply because even if there's, there's a mohawk in there, for example, no styling texture on that mohawk. It's lustrous. It's silky. It's free. <laughs> Everything looks modern because the hairspray has not been there. Okay, good. good. Interesting point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Where did you learn your craft of dressing hair? Of dressing hair... I mean, I know, I know. This is interesting because before Sassoon, and I'm very grateful for this actually. So I, I was offered when I was in high school, I was offered three apprenticeships in a local town in Tasmania, and I chose one of those three to go with. It was brilliant. It was one of those typical busy little Devonport salons that have, had a great clientele. There was perms, there was colours, there were lots of wedding do's to do. So as far as dressing hair, doing the rollers and the bouffant, the wedding chignons, the French rolls, et cetera, et cetera, mm. that craft came from that salon. Wow. Then hmm. I did my higher training in London. All that went out the door and I never touched this again. It was about graphic cutting. It was blow drying. It was everything that Sassoon was back then. And the technique of Sassoon cutting, I still keep till today, only I have softened it off. But the arithmetic of all the cutting is based from Sassoon. Yeah. yeah. But with editorial work, Everything I do, all my education is pulled from those very original days in that tiny little, very busy local salon. Teaching and I have to say they gave me such a complete training Yeah, because I'm as comfortable if I have to, which has been fun for, mm. extremely fun for editorial work. Mm. Because I can do whatever they want. I can do a finger wave. I can do a pre-war hairdo. I can do turn of the century volume. You remember the, the turn of the century, those big round do's with a yeah. little tiny top knot, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From bouffants to 60s, 50s, 70s, mm. 80s. So that, so that training that you got in that little mm. salon in the 
starting in the cool. 70s, was strong fundamentals and working with Basics. hair with your hands Basics. as opposed yes. to with scissors, with your hands, home, understanding shape and form. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Great. Coffier. Okay. And that's often what's missing. That is, I, I say, yeah, I say this a lot to people that have assisted me. Try and do some higher training in coiffure if you can, because mm. it will complete you as a hairdresser today, especially if you want to do session styling. Yeah. Is there anyone, I often ask session hairdressers this, is there anyone who's influenced you in terms of your beauty aesthetic as a hairdresser? Oftentimes I'll talk about a photographer. Sometimes I'll talk about a, a, a particular muse or someone who's who's made them look at beauty and women in a different way. So is there anyone for you that has stood out as being, or sometimes I mention a designer, a fashion designer, as someone who has really sort of laid the foundations for them of how they perceive beauty and, you know, how to work with hair, et cetera? In the sense of coiffure? Yeah, across, oh, it can be more than that. So your your beauty aesthetic, what, what okay. makes something beautiful? Is there anyone who's... who's well, I, I think a lot of this, the aesthetic of that sumptuous, lustrous hair that I just love, a lot of that happened because... I just love healthy hair and I love transforming hair that is rough and dry to that gorgeous, sumptuous, lustrous, healthy texture. I do that. I do that very well, if I may say so myself. Yeah, so you do. Yeah. I feel that's just the, the hairdresser that was always inside of me. Yeah. Even if I was saying I, I wanted to put out a, a bouffant, do a bouffant hair for an editorial, I still won't use hairspray. I won't mm. use styling product. I just really make a concentration on really sitting that roller right on its base so I get the oomph that I want Yeah, and then quaff, but the texture is always that lustrous, beautiful texture. Yeah. Let me come at that from another way. Mm -hmm. um, you were born in Australia, learnt your craft in Australia. You do a lot of work in America with with Hollywood celebrities, but you live in Paris. You've been there, or you live outside of Paris. You live in France for the last twenty seven years. How has living in France influenced your feeling for beauty? Because as a hairdresser, if oh, I yes. could wind the clock back, it's the one thing yeah. I would like to have done to go and live there for a few years and work there to. Just learn a different way of looking and feeling and working with hair. So yeah. how's, how's it impacted you? I, I kind of had that. I knew that I had to have a a part of my life amongst the Latins for my hairdressing. I just yep. knew it. So I had London, I had America, and I had Australia. So I was that kind of a hairdresser. Mm. And I thought it would be really interesting to work amongst the Latins, especially in Paris, because there is a softness that comes through in the hair. Mm. I, I want to use the word poetic. We as English tend to want more graphic and structured and strong looks. 
But then the French were always softer. You look at, for example, let's take some of the French iconic hairdressers. Alexander? Alexander de Paris, mm. beautiful shingles, very poetic. The Carita sisters. Yeah. Remember some of those iconic, beautiful images from the mm. Carita sisters back in, I think it might have been 60s even. Yeah. They had a softer way of cutting hair as well. Yeah. So the cutting wasn't really fulfilling me because I had my Sassoon method, and for me the Sassoon method is the Bible, so I will always be a Sassouna. However, for coiffure, the French really taught me a lot. Okay. How would you, because you're lucky in that you get to travel and and work and live in different countries, how do you Mm. describe that different beauty aesthetic? So, like, if you were working for Australian Vogue versus American Vogue versus French Vogue yeah. or English Vogue, they each have a different sort of beauty aesthetic, don't they? What, what What's the difference between them? I, I mean, I know okay, it's subtle, well, now, but what is it? Yes. Well, no, not really. American Vogue has always been quite classic, yeah. quite almost commercial Yeah. back in my day. Yeah. Australian Vogue followed that. Italian Vogue mm. was... was the creme of the creme for me because it was all about creating stories. So hair and makeup were very essential items to those pages of that magazine at the time. So Italian Vogue was probably the most stimulating for me and fortunately was one that I worked most with during my editorial years. UK Vogue can be edgy. And it can also be commercial back Mm -hmm. then. Japanese Vogue wasn't born then, Mm -hmm. but Japanese Vogue today is a good one to work with. They're quite creative. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, definitely. I'm always curious about that that different beauty aesthetic. What's 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 considered beautiful in England, often in America, people will just look at it Uh, and go, what is that all about? And then French Vogue too, but French Vogue had more a, a rock and roll seventies kind of vibe going on with it when I was when I was working with French Vogue. But it was the Italian Vogue that I really absolutely adored. I used to eat the pages. I loved those stories. <laughs> yeah, I, I must admit, Italian Vogue was was my, yeah. uh, always my go to reference for everything. I, I heard you talking somewhere at some stage about beauty. And you use this line, it might have been on your website that, that I read this, and I and I believe it to be true as well. And it was, you said that women see hair differently to men. And and I believe that. So so talk to us about that. Well, I'm a woman, so it's easy for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> that. I think, well, generally speaking. I'm a woman with long hair too, and I've had, except for my Sassoon years with my wedges and my Botticellis, I have worn my hair long. And I love that sensation of being naked and having sumptuous, healthy hair around Mm. my body. Mm. So it is just, I think anyone, I don't know how else to explain that, And I do think that women maybe think in a more feminine, but maybe I shouldn't say that because I'm going to get into trouble. No, not necessarily. (laughs) And and it's it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's because it's not a bad thing. 
I wanted to follow it up by asking you about why are there so few women in your position? Because obviously in the hairdressing industry, 80 or 90% of hairdressers are female. But oh. when you start looking at the top of the pile in terms of editorial hairdressers, session hairdressers, so yeah. few women. And well, I, mean, there's, I, I think there's another well. answer for that. I think yeah. there's another answer. Okay. It's because women are on a time clock and we try and do it all. And uh, fortunately, I had my daughter very late in life. I nearly missed having her. So I just woke up in time for it to still happen. So the thing is most women, not all, but most women do want to become mothers. Yeah. And their career, I mean, I mean, I rock and rolled, I double-tasked, I multitasked it all. But still, there are priorities. When your children are young, you have to divide lots of attention to their growing up years. Yeah. And I think that's why there are a few less women in a position where I am today. It's true. I would say 96% of my concurrent are men. Mm. Very what, true. What what sort of encouragement would you give young women that are listening to this who who want to progress their careers more in the editorial side of the industry? Session editorial celebrity. Well, session work is a commitment mm. because you are taking planes, you're living in hotels. Every day is a different address. So that's difficult to manoeuvre when you have children. Mm. Now, I had a husband that supported my career 100% and I probably couldn't never have done it without his giving me wind beneath my wings, let's say. Yeah. So I kind of married him at the same time as moving to France, falling into editorial work. So my editorial work, blossomed during that time of our marriage yeah, and then falling pregnant. So it all kind of happened at the same time. Mm. So he gave me the wind under my wings because we sat down and talked about it. We had at that time a seven-year-old daughter and I was starting to get all these bookings for these hair campaigns around the world. Mm. <laughs> because also, if you understand, very few hairdressers, freelance hairdressers today have that salon background mm-hmm. or understand or have worked from the salon floor. Yeah. So I used to get I used to be, at one point, I was taking planes. My husband would be meeting me at the airport with a change of clothes because I would go from Bangkok boiling heat to Russia to the snow doing people's hair campaigns. Mm. So what I'm saying is you, I had the luck of having somebody that supported me and he would just pack up his computer and we would, he would come traveling with me okay. before our daughter got into school. Yeah. So he would just come with me, be in the hotel with her while I'm working. So that is not always the case. I was kind of lucky that that yeah. was even possible. So marry well um, is the advice. <laughs> marry someone that that yes. allows your dreams to develop. Exactly. Really. And and why shouldn't the the woman 
be able to do that every bit as much yeah. as the, the husband. Well, it takes a very strong man to do that because you yeah, end up does. becoming the breadwinner. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's the right thing to do, though, isn't it? Because, like, you're the the more successful breadwinner. I'm not saying yes. that's your case, but often that is the reality of it. Well, just getting back to the sort of fashion hair side of it for a minute, is there a particular era that is your sort of favourite, a particular decade? I love, that- I love all the eras. You love all of them? All of them. Okay. And I love the challenge of all the errors. Yeah. And see, when you're on a, when you're doing an editorial shoot, never for an advertisement, for, Mm. for advertising or, or TV commercials, for example, you will be given a maquette or a storyboard and it Mm. will be drawn. They will draw you what they want you to create with the hair often. So you have to believe in yourself and know you can do it because that's what they'll want. If there's one little hair that's doing a curl out here, that's what you have to reproduce. But for editorial, that it, it's it's when you first start doing editorial, it can be quite breathtaking because everybody turns to the hairdresser. <laughs> they all want to know what you're doing with the hair. Yeah. Because and and rightly so. And makeup is important too. But makeup if there's a problem, you can wipe it off and redo it very mm. quickly. Hair you cannot. You make an error, you're kind of stuck in the mud, especially mm. if you're using a lot of styling product, mm. which is not my case. I don't use it. But that is it takes your breath away. It is extremely challenging and it is so exciting because you get to often speak first about the direction that you would like to take those clothes mm. or you're suggesting because hair will turn, transform a, a piece of clothing into an epoch or, or it, it can be from the past. It, you can give it a 50s look. You can give it a 70s vibe. You Got can it. give it a futuristic look. Mm. And it's really the hair, the key, that turns that around. Okay. Okay. I know you work a lot with maybe it's just while I've been looking through your Instagram, et cetera. I was going to ask you, do you have a particular model or muse who is your sort of favourite that that influences your beauty aesthetic? Again, I'm sort of alluding to the fact that you work a lot with one particular person or you seem to. I can't really say that I have a favourite. Okay. These days, because they're the ones that I'm working with, I, I had to cut back on a lot of my session work because Isles Formula, my brand, takes every breath I breathe these days. And I'm yeah. more in the lab. I'm working on formulas. And we have salons now that are endorsing my brand all over the world. Mm. So I need to be present for them as well. I'm educating new educators that are coming in. So that's where my priority lies with my brand. However, I've kept a handful of them and they give me so much pleasure to work around. So I love, I kept the ones I kept because I generally do really love them. There's always that hairdresser-client relationship because Mm. I've kept it that way, but they are my friends too. Mm. Yeah, okay. So 
they're, they're all equally the ones that you see on my Instagram pages are my precious ones. Yeah, that's a nice list of people to have in your phone book. <laughs> you mentioned your products and I think they're beautiful, the packaging. I love the packaging. I've never used the products, but I, I know people that do. Tell me the story behind them. I know now they're what, they're coming up for seven years old now? Yeah, it was six. Yeah. Six. So it was never my plan ever to be president of a hair care company. Never in a million years. So when I was travelling the globe doing those hair campaigns everywhere, I mean, I was churning them out like from one to the other to the other to the other to the other Mm. because when you're doing a hair campaign, they always want to sell this sumptuous, lustrous hair, Mm. right? Who else to book for that? That's who I am. That's what I love to deliver. Mm. And I had that salon background. So this was great for customers that had professional salons as well. So these formulas, the conditioner, I created for that highway. Now, the aisles understand when you're doing TV commercials, you're on a set for up to 14 hours a day with the same head of hair. You don't have any downtime with that head of hair before you start because they've been flown in from wherever. Mm. And celebrities never have time. They have no, they have a very tight agenda. Then one of those big houses came along with a no extension policy. If you're allowed to use extensions, God, you can do 360 degrees on the worst head of hair because mm. remember, these celebrities are there because of who they are, mm. their fame, not because of their beautiful hair. So I needed to find a conditioner, which I didn't, so that's why I created it, that would instantly repair every single hair type that I was working on without depositing residue of any kind because the hair had to be as fresh and light and clean after 14 hours on set under hot lights as I said, some countries, no air conditioning, like mm-hmm. India. Yeah. It had to obey my every command. And it took me three years of my life savings and I got it. Mm. So then I did the shampoo and then I created finally that serum that a lot of freelancers today use. So I was doing, I had my private formulas, right? And that's how I used to arrive with those when I'm left with five tortured hairs, for example, to do a hair campaign with. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, because three quarters of the head of hair has been removed because extensions were forbidden. So I knew that if I could just transform that straw that was left in my chair to sumptuous silk without any residue, I could, with fishing wire and battens, dance those five tortured hairs, which are no longer tortured, but like sumptuous silk. I could dance them and make them look like 5,000 hairs under high-speed film. Mm. Are you with me? Yeah, <laughs> Am I yeah, getting complicated? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm following you. <laughs> so that's how I got through it. And then I started to use these. Remember, I had A-listers in my chair. They were so impressed how their hair had transformed on that day just 
with those products, many of them started to book me for other emissions. Hmm. Now, back then, celebrities were endorsing everything. They have gym wear, they have cosmetics, they have a shoe line, they have a perfume line. And they were starting to fly me in and relationships got born and I started to work with them. Hmm. And then one day out of the blue, so I was working with those formulas for around 10 years. The ones in my signature box, the one, two, three. Yeah were my private formulas and I never touched a hair to hair without them. I still don't. One day, well, they were asking me, they were all asking me at some point, will you please give me some of that product? But the thing is I used to go in once a year and make up these three vats and ship the product to France and it used to sit in my orangery. And every time I'd go to a job or on a long-haul job for three weeks, for example, I would take from those vats my one, my two, and my three, and then off I go, Hmm. and then come back and refill the vessels. So I couldn't give them anything because I knew I just had my year's amount to work with. Then they came to me with the idea that, okay, a group of us got together. If we give you a year's order, each of us, Would that entice you to bottle up these three formulas and give us each 12 boxes each? Mm. And that's how I launched. I found I still wasn't launched because I was thinking, okay, I'm going to send them each, the one, two, three, in a box. My husband said, look, just do it like you would like to receive it. We will try and find a manufacturer that will do a small run. That was complicated too. That took me a year to find someone that would even do it. And um, that's how we started. And then, honestly, before we blinked, Bergdorf Goodman, a beautiful department store in New York City, reached out to us and said, we've heard about your brand. We would like to call it in. And then I looked at my husband like, we're not a brand. <laughs> I had my cross, my white cross, mm-hmm. and IELTS formula because they used to call it that on set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I had nothing on those bottles. Mm. So I had to then become a company and put all the ingredients, the how to use, et cetera, et cetera, and use the same white box. And then we did an official launch. Right. And so, we're still moved off Goodman today. Good. So how many people work in the company today? So it's still family-owned. Mm-hmm. We have never advertised. Things are changing this year, though. We're about to make a big turn. Mm-hmm. So up until now, we are family-owned. We have never advertised. It's all been word of mouth. We are now global We're in, I think, something like overall 26 countries. We have over 500 salons in America, and we're very, very, very choosy where we put the product. Mm -hmm. So we say no as often as yes. There, I would say today, there's probably 14 of us, but we are now for the very first time taking a PR and going to a, a serious PR and putting more men on the ground. And we're starting to advertise for the first time ever. Wow. Okay. So that's impressive. So as success has been those formulas, it's mm. been the word of mouth. It's all been word of mouth. I wake up 
daily to the most amazing reviews from people. Mm. And I'm forever grateful for that because this does take every breath I breathe. Even when I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about these formulas. Uh, my husband and I do an average of 16, 18 hours a day mm. for IELTS formula because of the time. Yeah, clock. I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. And those reviews keep us walking on a cloud. Mm. Amazing. Okay. Is that is that the highlight of your career? I know you've had an, an incredible award. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yes. I, yes. So Hollywood Beauty Awards, that was that was pretty spectacular. I cried for that because that was kind of like a recognition from Hollywood's elite. So that that was that was very very special and it was even more special because my husband and my daughter were there to witness that. My agent flew in, Audrey from Artlist in Paris, she flew in for the occasion to be honored with that. It's kind of like an Oscar, <laughs> but it's yeah. not an Oscar, it's an Oscarette mm. for hair. And she sits on my desk and and I'm very proud of her. But my biggest achievement, I think, honestly, if you if you ask me that, it is being able to juggle and manage, I think, very well motherhood in amongst all that. That's you know the what? most precious award. That for me. was exactly what I was about to ask you. I, I occasionally get women who will email me or DM me or whatever, and they will comment about some of the women I've had on the podcast, and they'll say, ask them how they balance all of this with being a, a wife and a mother, a business owner. Yada, yada, yada. I know you've it's already true. talked about it a little bit, but is there anything, what what bit of advice would you give them well, other than marry well? Uh, yeah, it was very, very obvious to us. When Beatrice was born, she was born in France, she's French. We were living in Paris and I'd had these discussions with my husband who is French saying, I would love to find a property with a big garden. I want to give our daughter what I had in Australia. And that was running around on the grass and climbing trees and she can't do that in Paris. We, we need to find a big garden so I can teach her the way I had a childhood. In, in other words. Yeah. But so we found this property 40 kilometres from Paris and I can say it was the best thing in the world for motherhood because I would leave each morning and drive to work. So in peak traffic that can be an hour and a half's drive. Outside peak traffic it can be 35 minutes. But mm -hmm. I had time during that drive-in to trans transform myself from mother wife to Wendy the hairdresser. Think about yeah, the yeah. day of work, where totally. I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, of course, I'm always the first to leave the studio, get in the car because I'm dying to come home. Yeah. And I have that moment to switch on and by the time I'm home, some, some days I remember there was a little parking spot just up the street of our village where I used to do a power nap before I came home because <laughs> I knew the moment that I would drive in, my daughter was just waiting for me and yeah. she would just run to me with all her might and jump up on me like a koala. It was so beautiful. I remember that like it was yesterday. So I knew that my time until she went down at night to sleep was her time. So yeah. it gave me that moment, that highway gave me that moment to switch on and switch off. 
So it is good to have that separation from work and home with children. And of course, having the backup support of a husband that would be picking up the pieces when I wasn't here, you know? Yeah, yeah. One picking of my them up from school, doing the homework. Yeah. I mean, we had house help too, but yeah, yeah, you need all that. Okay. One of my favorite quotes sort of reminds me of what you were just saying. And it's wherever you are, be there. And yeah. you know what yeah. you just said. When you're at work, you're at work. And when you're at home, you're at home and you've got to compartmentalize things and you do whatever it takes to to be there a hundred percent, even if that means pulling yeah. up into the car park and having a power. No, absolutely. Door, to be ready for yeah, it. you're ready for it. Weekends are always extremely precious yeah. too. And I've always, since I've been married, make a big occasion about dining together. As Beatrice grew up, she was part of that. So having that moment together with my husband after Mm. Beattie went down when she was younger at night. But then as she grew up, it was always the three of us eating together. So mealtime was a very precious moment in our days too, to keep the family unit together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tell me about your thoughts about the changes that you see in the industry globally, because you've been in the industry a significant amount of time. It's a very Mm -hmm. different industry today to what it was. Uh, And it's always evolving. It has always evolved and it will continue to. What, What are your thoughts about it these days when you look at it as someone who started out and the type of salon you did and the way you learned, and then you look at the impact of social media and just the way businesses are evolving and changing today. What are your thoughts about all that? Well, first of all, salons, for example, now all have a portfolio, let's say, because they have an Instagram page. Mm. So, and I think it's a very important thing for them because I see how often they post and I see their numbers. Mm. So this is how I do a lot of my yay and nay when people want to take on the business. I just have to look at the page and I'll see. I see their work instantly. Mm. So it's like a portfolio. But what I've noticed, let's take, let's say since COVID closures, mm. right? So we as a brand had salons in America with a hundred chairs. And I'm going to talk about one of those for the minute and the change that I saw after the COVID closures. So that 100-chair salon was, before COVID, quite spectacular to walk into. Mm. It was like a factory. Then after COVID, what they did, which I thought was super intelligent, was start to build rooms in that big salon. So rooms that would probably take no more than three chairs. All right. So the rooms, so they broke it all up to be more private spaces with their customers, Mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. So therefore it is more a one-on-one process. Mm -hmm. There are other big salons I've seen that have lost a lot of operators who have gone to they're what they call, I think you call them sweet, sweets. Like yeah, oh, I thought sweet. that's what you were just defining then. So no, no, not at so all. They're not sweets. They're just separate rooms. Right, okay. It was that's one not... big, big salon mm. space that they divided up to yeah. give customers more privacy with their right. operator. Okay, okay. But still their staff. Yeah. So then I see all these sweet salons mm. opening up. 
where it is really a one-on-one. There's only yeah. one chair mm. and there's one operator. Mm. So there's a lot of that going on, especially in America, because that's where I see it most, because that's mm. where my brand is American. Certainly, I think we all came out of COVID wanting to be nurtured. And I see just with our sales on on the internet alone during COVID closures, all our stores were closed, all our salons were closed. We did actually set up an umbrella for the salons to use our website mm-hmm. and still receive their, their markup yep. on their sales. We we really worked hard to make that happen for them. But we our website sales grew 300%. And I think one of the reasons being is that we nurture hair, we repair hair, and it's instant. And it's from the very first moment, the very mm-hmm. first use. So people are going down that road, they want more, they want clean products, they want sustainable, they want healthy hair. And I think that's also being carried across to these sweet salons where it is a one on one, it's just you with the operator. Mm-hmm. So it's all about that nurture moment together okay. without sharing space with others. I've seen more and more and more of that happening yeah. okay. weekly, yeah. weekly. Oh, that's an interesting so, observation. Yeah. What would you say your biggest strength is that's got you to where you are? Not being afraid of a challenge. I mean, there's been things that have been sent my way where – I would have loved to say no mm-hmm. because the challenge was way too big. Maybe maybe IELTS Formula is a typical example when they were begging me to give them this product and then they come with that order and it's just like, oh, no, please don't make me do this. But there are moments in life for me where I have walked to the edge of the cliff and I've jumped believing mm-hmm. that I will fly. Yeah. And I've flown. So you sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone and know yourself well enough that you that you will give it your everything. Once mm-hmm. you've made the decision to do it, you know that you're going to give it everything. Yeah. And you most likely will fly. So it's scary, but push yourself mm. because amazing things will happen. Yeah, what what that sort of leads perfectly into what I was going to say, which was when you've been hairdressing as long as you have, a lot of people get stuck along the way and they stop evolving. What is the key to continually evolving, continually staying relevant, continually? You just talked then about pushing yourself and not being afraid to jump. What What is the key to you continually being able to reinvent yourself and stay as relevant today as you were 20, 30 years ago? Well, I think the golden key for me right now is that through IELTS Formula, I'm in touch with so many hairdressers. I'm in touch with freelancers, session stylists. I'm in touch with salons all over the world. Mm -hmm. I have distributors now in all these countries. So I'm getting to work with German hairdressers, Italian hairdressers, London hairdressers, hairdressers from Taiwan, North America, South America, Canada. So it's they are the ones that are keeping my work relevant. Mm. That's interesting. Like hairdressing, 
in itself keeps you young, I think, doesn't it? Because you're surrounded by younger people often. And also, so their enthusiasm yeah. and energy and the way yeah. they look at life and the technology yeah. they use, et cetera, it, it keeps pushing you, doesn't it? Which is which is a positive it, for all of us. Yes, it does. It really does. And I think hair hairdressing, you have to love hair. Yeah. To succeed, you have to love it because it's creative. That's and it's challenging, but you're also nurturing all these people that are in your chair. So you're also a psychologist. <laughs> so it's quite draining. At the end of the day, it's a very tiring job. Yeah. So if you love it, that you're halfway home. Mm. What, what, do you, what do you wish you were better at? What do I wish I was better at? Numbers. I hate book work. <laughs> oh, a lot okay, of people. I have a husband who is a genius with numbers. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people have just done a fist pump in the air. Oh, my <laughs> hearing God. you say that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Last thing I want to ask you is what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in life? It can have nothing to do with hairdressing. If you want, it's entirely up to you. If there was one thing that you'd say, do you know what the biggest lesson I've learned in my journey is this? What would the answer be? Trusting my gut mm. and intuition. My intuition, I always go with the very first intuition I get. Sometimes intuition changes yeah. when you go through these and never listen. I always go with the first. It yeah. never let me down. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. Okay, well, this has been really good. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, I hope I haven't you. rambled on too much. No, no, not at all, not at yeah. all. I kept you on track. So where, 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 where can people, I've mentioned your Instagram. Thank you. Where, where can people connect with you? Yes, I'm on Instagram at Wendy Isles underscore hair. And then there is Isles Formula underscore hair. And if they're interested in testing my brand or anything like that, reach out to me or me at islesformula underscore hair. I'm very hands-on. I read all the comments. I'm watching both both of these two platforms all mm -hmm. the time. I think it's important because yeah. a lot of people are tagging. I want to know who they are. I want to know what they're tagging. Yeah. So I, it takes a lot of my time, but I think it's important to be close to my community yeah so i will get the message i think that's probably the better Good. way to do okay it. and and your website i did a lot of digging around on your website before we got on this call together and i thought it was great that your blog and all the stuff that's on there what's the what's the web oh, address yeah. for people yeah so www.islesformula.com so we do journal posts every week and they cover all kinds of subjects about hair, yeah. hair loss, hair breakage, hair styles. We mm. cover the shows, the defiles, the best of at Paris fashion, mm. best of at New York fashion. So there's something there for every hairdresser, totally. even the ones that are starting off. There's how-tos, yeah. simple little how-tos. There's sophisticated how-tos. No, it's good. I was very impressed with it. So, okay, I will put all those links on our website, growmysalonbusiness.com in the show notes. And if you listen to this podcast with Wendy Isles and have enjoyed it, do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So 
To wrap up, Wendy Isles, and I should explain to people how to spell your name, I-L-E-S. <laughs> oh, I'm... you know, exactly. <laughs> it's it's one guess. of those. But it's interesting. That's one way I can feel that my brand is becoming successful because people are saying it now Good. correctly. Good. First time Good. in the last year. But before I used to get Islay, I'd get Iles, I would <laughs> yeah. get Isle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, knew, I, I, I might have got caught out by that if I'd heard it and then thought, how do you write it? As opposed to yeah. I saw it and knew how to pronounce it. Anyway, to wrap up, Wendy, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. I, I, I loved it. Thank Cheers. You. Me too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.